Warning, MF Uncensored contains adult language and discussion. Listener discretion is advised. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. We're not happy and dilly. Don't go around with Hello, everyone, and welcome back to MF Uncensored. Don't forget, if you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you get your podcast. You can also find more of our content on our website, themisfitfaction.com. There you find links to not only this show, but some of our other shows like the Multiverse Fancast and Cinematic Adventures. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul. Now, before we get started, I have to ask all of our listeners a question. I want you guys to think of the following things and see if you can find any sort of connection. Chemistry? Real estate, motivational speaking, and surviving a heart attack. Now, if any of you guys are sitting there going, I don't know how any of those things relate to each other, well then, it's a good thing I am not here by myself. With me via the Zoom studio is Mr. Bob Thompson. Bob, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm really excited to, to get a chance to chat with you. We, uh, we just finished our pre-interview, which was definitely something that, that got me going, like excited to talk to you. So really quick, we're going to start... At the beginning with Bob, because I think the first thing I mentioned was chemistry. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about why I said chemistry first? I was a chemist in a lab for nine years. Now, the first year and a half of that, I was actually on the plant itself. I was the last person to get moved into the plant or moved into the lab before they decided you needed an actual four-year degree. Mm -hmm. So I had done enough legwork and obviously was smart enough that they moved me into the lab working 12 hour shifts. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad job. It's just ultimately it became a situation where, okay, I don't want 15 bosses. I'm not going to move up and I need to find something that's going to give me that, that feeling of happiness and joy. And that's what eventually led into the real estate. So, all right, let's, I want to talk about the real estate. So I'm actually, I'm one of those weird people that get excited about anything. And for me, like real estate, for some reason, I think maybe once you turn a certain age, real estate becomes something you just become more interested in. Like my I wife would say so. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I would be like driving around and now we just look at the houses and we're like, man, that's a nice house. I wonder how much it goes for. I wonder what the markup is. Like <laughs> it's just wild. But before we do that now, when you say chemist, what exactly in, in layman's terms, cause I'm a very simple, simple guy with a simple brain. What exactly did you do at this lab? Essentially, we would test the products that came in. The The company that I worked for, we made stuff that went into everything else. Mm -hmm. So like we made like the gel that goes into baby diapers and stuff like that. Really? So, so basically, yeah, I would do all of the testing for that. The problem with that was, is because I didn't have the math and science background, at a certain point, there's only so much I can do. Right. So if the, if the proverbial hits the fan... I can't fix it. We got to bring somebody in with a better and deeper understanding of chemistry and math than I could do. But I could do all of the the basic day to day stuff that needed to be done. I actually was going to get an environmental protection degree. And at the time, this is. 2004, 2003, somewhere in there, they didn't even have environmental protection degrees. They had a certificate you could get after two years. So I'm literally, what really was the catalyst is I'm sitting in freshman chemistry. I have my own lab coat with my name on it, <laughs> all of my own supplies I got from work, and I am miserable. I am just as miserable. And at that point, like the light went off, it was like, this is not what I want to do. Right. I've got to find something else. 
that fulfills me, I, I can't do this for the next 30 years. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it was a stable job, good benefits and good pay for the time period. And I could have just rode that out for years. But I was, you know, I was like, this is not going to work. So at that point, I started looking around actually got into real estate. I was actually buying property and renting them out. So I was a landlord. I was a terrible landlord because I was way too nice and getting taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And everybody forgets landlords don't have money. They have good credit. That's why they can buy multiple properties. But if that mortgage payment doesn't get paid, it's coming out of my pocket. So then you're playing the you know Rob Peter to pay Paul scenario. And I just found that I enjoyed the hunt for the property, the negotiation, that aspect of it way more than owning the property, which is why I eventually got my real estate license and, you know, it kind of went from there. So do you find that going from a job environment that wasn't exactly healthy, that was like draining you, you know, you, you said you were unhappy, you, you could have just rode the wave like a lot of people do. A lot of people, they'll, they'll become stagnant, they find a job, it's like, well, it's stable, better stay. Do you find that your outside life improved from transitioning out of a toxic work environment into something you preferred? My outside life improved and actually my inside life improved at the job because once I had made a decision, then my ex-wife and I decided that, okay, I do want to go real estate full time. This was in 2005. We put a three-year plan together. Now, I got that plan done and walked out in 2007. Mm -hmm. But what I tell a lot of people is I actually became a better employee because I wasn't focused on the day-to-day politics of the job or getting wound up if stuff wasn't going the way it was supposed to, because quite honestly, at that point, I didn't care. I had my, I was focused on what I needed to get done. So I basically went in, did my 12 hour shift, kept my mouth shut, which I'm not real good at. (laughs) And actually by the time I was leaving, my bosses were probably happier with me than they ever had before because they weren't getting any attitude. I wasn't grumpy. I wasn't arguing with anybody. There was no politics because Quite honestly, at that point, I just I didn't care. I was focused on what I needed to get done. And I tried to use my time while I was there wisely because I worked a lot of night shifts. So I would get if I had free time, I'd get real estate paperwork done or get ready for the next morning to go show property or whatever. But it actually made me a better employee because I was less worried about the day to day stuff that goes on in a normal working environment. I mean, you know how it is. You're you know, of most jobs, it's always going to be that way. And I think that was probably the best thing by focusing on the future. I could kind of let the past or, or let the current day-to-day stuff go. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know, like I said, a lot of people, they get very stagnant and they, when you're young, you look for like the dreams, right? You're, you're looking for the dream job, the dream wedding, the dream house, all these things. As we grow up and get older, a lot of people start to just kind of plateau and they're like, well, I have this stable job that stability is the, the bigger incentive for a lot of people, but it sounds like you decided that you didn't want to be stagnant. And, you know, even just in a job where you couldn't move up or you kind of were at a spot where it was like, it's this for the rest of my life. I actually really respect you for, for taking a leap and doing something totally different. I I couldn't do it. I just, I was miserable and I knew it wasn't going to get any better. And I was coming home grumpy and all the time. So it was like, what is the point of this? If I, I can't do this for the next 30 years, my ex-wife at the time certainly didn't want to listen to me bitch and moan, you know, after my 12 hour shifts coming home, it's just, nobody wants to listen to that or deal with that. So, plus I had always been a hustler. I've always had a, I had a part-time job of some sort, whether it was, 
selling stuff on eBay or whatever. I didn't have one full-time job until I was 35 years of age when I went real estate full-time. Wow. That's the first time I'd only had one job. Even when I worked at the chemical plant, I always had some sort of side thing going on. It, I just did. Did you have a favorite side hustle? Absolutely loved the eBay. At the, for the time period, I did really well. I would bring in like five or 600 bucks a month extra. Like I'd oh, hit the awesome. broad. And this is, God, this has got to be 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And I'd bring in five or $600 a month, go to garage sales, buy literally buy a Nintendo for $3, fix it, turn around and flip it for a hundred bucks. I mean, stuff like that. But long-term, there wasn't any, what I would consider a real profit in it compared to selling the real estate on the side. And then I could make 20, 25 grand a year part-time in 2005 and 2006 figuring if I'm making 45 grand at my regular job, there's a good chance if I go full-time in real estate, I can make that back up, mm -hmm. you know, because I'll have more time to strictly do that. Plus we did, we put a plan together. I will give my ex-wife credit. She stuck with me on that. We paid all the bills down. We had no car payment, no nothing. So when I made the transition, I didn't have to make as much money anyway. And we were able to transition to her medical benefits at the time. So it, overall it was a fairly seamless plan. And it felt that one of my most, proudest moments is walking out of that chemical plant for the last time in April of 2007. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I'm fun. absolutely proud of that. That's really great, man. And it's funny, you mentioned the, the Nintendo thing. We went to a, a convention called Terrific Con and that's people were selling crazy amounts of Nintendo, Sega, like all these things, 200, 300 bucks for some of these things. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. wild. Like it's crazy. I still have my original Atari Intellivision, Nintendo, and Super Nintendo. Oh, that's and I keep them in a box with cartridges. And at about every six months, I'll just, I'll break them out for like a day or two, kind of get my fill, put them back in the box, put them back away. Oh, that's really cool, man. Like that, there's <laughs> just something, something comforting in that kind of nostalgia. Like we have a, we have the Switch, we have the PlayStation, like we have all these things, like the newer stuff, but there's just something so satisfying about plugging in like Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and just, it's like, it's like visiting an old friend, somebody you haven't seen forever, but like you just immediately reconnect. Yeah, definitely. I've still got my Mattel football game, the original little dot, dot foot, the one that I yeah, was, yeah. was given as a Christmas present. I still have that. That's awesome. It doesn't have a back on it, but it still works. You slap the, the nine volt battery in there and you can. And it's good for about an hour, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm gonna go put this away. That's still you really know? cool. Like, I remember that, and like, <laughs> I remember my grandparents had like the little, like the poker things, like those yeah. little cubes mm -hmm. you would play like poker. I don't, you know, I was five. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's making cool noises. <laughs> and now, now if my PlayStation's running slow, I'm like, this is ridiculous. How is technology so bad? <laughs> yeah, you get that first world feeling when you're like, I can't believe I, I was bitching the other day because the internet was acting up. I was like, damn you, Verizon! You know, oh, like God. I've got it so bad. I, Nobody understands the pain I'm going through. The best was a like I, I work with kids uh, as part of my my full time job, and I'll tell them like guys, let me explain dial up to you. Like <laughs> let me explain to you the pain of not only doing the dial up modem, getting onto the internet, not really having too much to do. We thought we had so much to do on the internet back in you know the early like the late nineties, early two thousands, and then somebody would pick up the phone, and you'd have to yell yep. upstairs, "Mom, I'm on the internet. Get off the phone." 
But let's we'll swing back to you before we just take this deep dive into nostalgia territory. <laughs> so for you, you described yourself, when, when you first uh, messaged me, you described yourself as an anti-real estate agent. Can you tell me exactly what an anti-real estate agent is? Yeah, and I get in trouble for this on, you know, the different websites that are obviously or, or Facebook groups that are real estate related. I, number one, honesty is the key, is number one. So I'm going to tell you what the truth is, whether you want to hear it or not. I've been thrown out of listing appointments because they didn't like the fact that their house was not made of gold. It's not that complicated. In a cookie cutter neighborhood, if all the houses are worth between 225 and 250, guess what? Your house is going to be worth between 225 and 250. Right. There are rare exceptions, but those are the facts. Number two, I don't, I don't do, I don't even do business cards anymore. There's no point to them. We don't. I, number one, we have electronic business cards. You mm. can find my information on Facebook. I don't put signs in the yard. The signs in the yard are designed to make you feel like I'm physically doing something. Because let's be honest, it's a non-physical job. What you're paying me for, as far as I'm concerned is my honesty and my experience and my negotiation skills, which is not something you can physically look at. That's why a lot of agents do open houses and stuff like that. It's to give you the feeling of, oh, look at my agent. He's on my in my house on a Sunday afternoon for two hours. Big whoop. That's not what you're paying me to do. You're just not. So I don't waste my time with stuff like that. I don't do signs in the yard. I don't do fancy water bottles with all of my crap on it and all my and my name on it and any of that stuff. I don't do any of that. And again, I'll point blank tell you, this is what your house is worth. This is what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always make that point that a lot of what uh, agents do to me is an illusion. It's like, well, for instance, here's a big one, buying a closing gift. What other profession does that? Think about that for a second. Car salesmen don't buy you something when you buy a car. Nope. My lawyer's not going to give me a bottle of wine when he finishes my court case. The contractor that you know, makes the repair on my house is not going to leave me a hammer and a box of nails. I don't see any point to it. I got paid to do a job. At the end of the day, tell me I did a good job and pay me. That's all I want. I, and, I'm, and I don't do the gifts. I don't even go to closings anymore because, again, what's the point? It's a it's a photo op at best. I'm going to sit there for an hour while the title lady who knows what she's doing goes over all the paperwork. I'm literally the proverbial bump on the log. I'm not doing any good. So I don't even go. And I explain that. And because I do mostly referral business at this point, the people understand, hey, Bob's a little unconventional and but he does a great job and they refer me out. And that's how I, I do my business. And it just to me, it works. It's just it's how I am. Same way walking into a million dollar listing, I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans. It's not what I dress like. It's what I know. Mm -hmm. I actually really respect that because my wife and I bought our first house right before the pandemic, like literally the November <laughs> before the pandemic. Like the the fact that we managed to get it done was was shocking in itself. But I remember our real estate agent, she was literally just sitting there. Like she was, she was great for the most part. Like, you know, and then my stepmom handled our side for them uh, and she did a fantastic job, but like the lady selling the house that we moved into, that real estate agent, she I was at the signing. I don't remember what she did there. She just sat there while I signed everything and wrote 500 checks. And because I'm an adult, I use my superhero checks because I'm not that much. Well, of, of course. Yeah, of course. Like, I'm writing checks for like hundreds of dollars. I'm like, all right, you get a Superman, you get a Batman and Wonder Woman for you because 
I'm that kind of adult. But the whole process is very jarring. It's it's a lot to to take in. We we got a little swindled at our house, and I would have appreciated a little bit more honesty from our from her real estate agent. Like there were things broken that they tried to hide, and some things that we found like months later we realized were in terrible condition. So it sounds like you're way more honest and just not not trying to sell the gimmick of real estate. I want you to buy the house because of what I would call the wow factor. You you should absolutely number one, most people only buy three or four houses in their entire life. Mm-hmm. So why would I let you walk in and buy something that let's be honest is a dump and I know it's a dump. Now you can may see the shiny paint because you don't know any better and that's okay. But it's my responsibility to point out the flaws to that house. And I've been known to walk into houses and go, yeah, we're done. And then we just walk out and leave. Why are we going to spend 20 minutes walking around something that we know is crap? Mm-hmm. We're just not going to do that. And number two, I want you to absolutely love that house. Buying a house is not a, well, it'll do. I know this because I did it. My agent that I had, who's still in the business, does four or five deals a year, doesn't know where from a hole in the ground. And I walked in the second house I looked at. We had two boys and we needed a four bedroom, two bath. And I walked in and said, yeah, it'll work. The house had been on the market for a year. We were only approved for 90,000. So we paid 84,000 for it. We got no closing cost help. We didn't do what I call the Friday night drive-by, which is every house looks pretty on a Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood seems good. We didn't do the drive. We didn't do the drive around to see what the neighbors are like, what's going on with them. And then when we moved in, I've got a 300 pound white power guy living behind me with a gigantic rebel flag in his front yard. And he's literally listening to country, essentially white power music at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I can that explains to me why the owners of the home moved away. Let me put it that way. And the neighbor beside me is literally a meth addict. Oh, fine. And I had we had no idea. And my agent never talked about doing anything. She told us we didn't need a home warranty or we didn't need a home inspection because we were getting a home warranty. This was 2002 when we bought this house. We bought that house and she didn't. So it actually worked out well when I became a real estate agent because I had just about the worst experience possible. So it made did nothing but make me a better agent all the way around. So if you're working with, like, let's say, I'll use my wife and I as an example also to get free advice because, you know, eventually we're going to move out of our, our first home. We have a, a beautiful little townhouse that we put some work into. So let's say you have a couple. My wife and I don't have kids yet, but let's say we have one kid, a pet, and there's the two of us. What would be your first couple of steps in establishing the best way to help us? Okay. If you're buying a single family home, do not buy anything with two bedrooms. Don't do it. The only exception to that rule is if there's enough space to convert something over to a proper third bedroom. The problem is because they're they're hard to resale and everybody forgets about resale factor. You're not going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. So if you buy a unique property, it's going to take a unique buyer to come and get it. The other thing to look at is don't compromise. If you're in an apartment and you need to stay a little bit longer because, you know, your lease is running out, then see if you can get an extension. But do not compromise. The other thing is in my area, obviously, Virginia Beach, Norfolk is nothing but military. So we have a lot of folks that are only going to be here for three or four years. I typically will tell them, you know, don't unless you really want to be a landlord, do not buy anything because 
you're not going to, there's a good chance you're not going to make enough money on it to flip it on the back end. Mm -hmm. And do you really want to be a landlord? Those are the factors you've got to think about. I would rather, if I'm going to be here for three years, I would rather, you know, use my, my housing allowance and rent the nicest, fanciest thing I can possibly find or rent the worst thing and use the extra money to pay bills down what one or the <laughs> other extreme and be done with it because yeah technically it's always a good idea to buy but at the same time it's not not everybody is ready to buy something and buying something simply because you want to because you can doesn't make a lot of sense you've got to be there's always going to be opportunities to buy and sell I know as real estate agents we get a lot of it's a great time to buy. It's a great time to sell. Yah, yah, yah. You've got to be in an emotional place where you can, you're ready for it. And it's something that you want to do. Yes. You're throwing money away when you're renting, but sometimes that's okay. Mm-hmm. It just is. It just, and if it makes sense for your lifestyle, why would you do it? Why, you know, if you're gone 24 seven, why would you buy a big house that you're not going to be home at much less deal with yard work and everything else? Just, it doesn't make good sense. And that was one of the biggest reasons my wife and I went with a townhouse because we don't like doing lawn work. You know, we wanted things that for our first home, especially when we were we were just dating at the time. I think we actually we just got engaged and we got our first home and we wanted something, quote unquote, easier where we don't have yeah. to worry about doing lawn and also something that we can grow into and then eventually grow out of. Now, do, yeah, do and you, that's what you want. Do you find- and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Do you find that real estate in itself has changed though over the past couple of years with, you know, I remember during the pandemic, not only did everything skyrocket, like, so we're in New York, we're about an hour and a half outside the city and there was a mass exodus from the city to areas like ours and the townhouse across from us, they sold during the pandemic for a hundred thousand more than we paid for ours. Do you, and now they're doing like virtual walkthroughs, like people aren't even going to open houses or anything like that. Do you find that the real estate game has changed though from all the COVID stuff? I mean, it's changed to a certain extent where people are starting to appreciate their house again. Mm -hmm. You figure we went, there's a good 10 to 15 year period where the children were always going to a different activities. You figure I'm 50. So when I was growing up, it was literally go outside and play. Mm -hmm. So you didn't spend any time in your house. Or if you, you know, you did and you, you just dealt with the space that you had to where the last 10 or 15 years, you had multiple children going to multiple activities. So nobody was ever home anyway. And then once the pandemic kicked in and people had to actually be in their house again, they were like, whoa, okay. And it really has not completely gone back to the mass amount of activities that kids went to before. So I think people are appreciating their house a little bit more and wanting a little bit more space than perhaps they would have been comfortable with a couple of years ago because, okay, we need an office or we're going to be here a lot more than we planned on it. Mm-hmm. So that's played into it. And the virtual stuff I think is great to on the front end, but at the for the most part, you need to tangibly put your hands on the property. Real estate is always going to be to some extent hands-on in most parts of the country. Now, clearly, New York's a little bit different, California, parts of Florida. And it also depends on if you're looking at a townhouse complex where all the property houses are the same, then you can get away with the virtual selling. But if you're in a traditional neighborhood, we can FaceTime, we can do all of that. But realistically, either yourself or somebody you really trust needs to take a walk through that property and get their hands on it. Mm -hmm. At least I believe. 
I like that. So let's let's shift gears really quick because there is another thing that I wanted to discuss with you. Now, something that you told me and then we talked about a little bit was that you were you suffered some terrible heart issues the last couple of years. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? Yeah. In 2018, I was 46. I started the, and here's the funny part is I started the year I was rolling. I like 2017 was probably my best year in real estate. I closed like 70 deals as a solo agent. Oh wow! So I was doing a ton, I do a ton of business and I was crushing it. I had 2018, I bought a new car, bought an RV, all the stuff as a single man that I wanted, you know, I'd gotten to been divorced for a few years. So it was like, these are the things I, that I want and I'm going to do this. And June of 2018, I had my first heart attack. Essentially, I was coming home from my father's. My girlfriend was meeting my dad and his wife for the first time. We're traveling home and my left arm starts tingling and it hurts. Mm -hmm. So it's that weird combination of numbness and pain, which right. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I finally pulled over. We She took over driving. We went to the ER my blood pressure was like 200 and something over something like it was like they basically attacked me like as soon as they did the the blood pressure they pulled my shirt off they gave me the you know they're giving me the aspirin the baby aspirin they're hooking the ekg up i didn't realize that i was having a heart attack it didn't feel like a heart attack it wasn't the traditional oh my god you yeah. know i'm gonna roll over and die type of thing to the point where i actually asked the doctor i was like am i seriously having a heart attack and he was like yes sir you're having a heart attack. So I had to throw my girlfriend my phone, give her the code to get into it, because we'd only been dating a few months at that point, and was like, you need to call my dad. And they put me in the night flight helicopter to fly me over to the heart hospital. Mm -hmm. So got through that. October of 2018, we had gone out to dinner with some friends to celebrate my birthday, and I had another heart attack that night, went to the hospital in the morning. And they immediately were like, the stents are not working. We're, you're going in for a bypass. And then two weeks later, what was supposed to be a, a regular bypass became a quadruple bypass. And that was that. When you don't make any, when you're not working, you don't make any money. So I blew through my savings, my credit card. I got 20 into 2018. I was just as broke as you can possibly get, man. That's like, sorry. I got like chills. Like just imagine, I, I'm not going to lie. Imagining you asking the doctor, am I really having a heart attack? Like just from talking to you for the past 30 minutes ish, I was like, I could see that. I could totally see just look it up and be like, are you sure about that? I really thought, man, at the time I still smoked. So I assumed, okay, blood pressure is probably high. This can be, they're going to, you know, give me something for my blood pressure and send me on my way. I really did not believe I was having a heart attack. I point blank had to ask him. And again, they attacked me like, you know, like I like I was a supervillain. They literally like grabbed me, pulled my shirt off. They're tapping, putting the little EKH things on me. They're like, take this, take this. You got three or four other nurses and stuff coming in and everybody's, you know, this is a major thing. And, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, what's everybody doing? Is, is everybody bored? Like, <laughs> why, why are y'all paying attention to little old me over here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that they did. Cause obviously it seems that it worked out for the best for you, but you were telling yeah, me and that I quit smoking too. <laughs> good for you, man. Like that's, that's why now, now everybody's vaping. That's, that's the new big thing, vaping. But I just don't, I never get the appeal. <laughs> They're going to find some bad things on that one too. If it hasn't already happened, it's oh, coming. God, just you know, like... it took them a long time to realize cigarette smoking was bad. Oh yeah. They so used... you can imagine they're going to do the same thing with the vape and it's, it's not a good idea. Right. And then for you, you were telling me before we started recording that you had some, some interesting 
occurrences with something like a car and some other things after all this happens. So Wells, I, I, it's a fascinating thing when you're doing well and making money and have a history of making your payments on time, you assume that people are going to work with you, mm -hmm. which I guess is naive. So when I, when all of this happened, I let my creditors know what was going on in terms of, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I had a heart attack. I'm going to be out for a few weeks. And I had second heart attack and had the bypass. So I was talking to everybody what was going on and assuming they would work with me and found out very quickly that when you're broke, nobody cares. Weird, right? So in the span of a week and a half, Wells Fargo canceled my bank account, canceled my credit card and had, and I, my car got repoed. So I had to have a very uncomfortable conversation with my father. You know, and I'm literally like, Hey dad, I need to borrow a car. He was like, well, where did your car go? I'm like, well, funny thing. And obviously as I knew that dad would come through and he did, and he, you know, helped me get my car back. I had a buddy of mine that had to pay my rent payment because I couldn't even pay rent at that point. I mean, I was like broke, broke. And I knew things were going to eventually get better. And I had told everybody that if they just waited for me to get back to work, then, you know, cause as a real estate agent, you always kind of know, okay, well coming, this is going to close in a month and a half. And I'm meeting with these people next week and we're going to get the house listed. So I knew, Things were going to go a certain way eventually, but nobody cared. I would say the biggest thing I learned from all of that is if I had just been honest and tried not to just man up and take care of it myself, the damage wouldn't have been as bad. Right. Because if I had reached out to a couple of friends of mine, if I had reached out to my father earlier, then that car never would have got repoed because, you know, dad wouldn't have let that happen. He'd have done what he needed to do, as he's always done, is you know, been supportive and all of that to help out with that. So it kind of, it cost me because I kept my mouth shut and didn't bother to tell anybody what was going on and just dealt with it on my own. Oh man, that's, that's crazy. I find yeah. that, I also find that, especially like I've talked to a lot of people on the show, like I've talked to like therapists and psychologists also. And a lot of times there's a lot of discussion about, especially men never wanting to ask for help. Just like they psychologically, they see it as a sign of weakness or anything, or they're embarrassed or anything like that, or they think they could just handle it. I think you know, everybody has at least one experience in their life where they said, if I had just asked for help, it would have made everything just so much easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the way I was doing it. I was I'm a man. I'm going to handle my business. This, the way I had been raised, the way I had lived my life was that, OK, I'm not going to ask for help and I, it'll get better. And part of me really thought that the the creditors, they would hold on. You know, you get you know, you, you get another week out of them. You hold on for another week. You keep hoping that they're going to work with you. and then. Finally, they just they pulled the, the the rug out, and it was like we're done. And this is not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I should have done. That's the first thing I should have done was let people know what was going on. And remember, at one point, I had over six hundred thousand dollars in medical debt. Oh. No joke. I got a bill one time for like three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars, and I just laughed. Now clearly, Centero took care of a lot of that, and. And at last count a month ago, it was down to like 80 grand at mm. this point, at this point, as we, as we're talking just about, but yeah, I when I got the bill for $365,000, I just laughed. I'm just like, what are you going to do? You know, yeah, you can't, you're not getting that money from me. It's not happening. American healthcare. It is the wildest yeah. ride.
Like, yeah. I, I half the time I can't even understand. Like, I have very good health insurance, luckily, and my wife's on my plan. But even with good health insurance, even with the best health insurance, you could still go in for something and something that you think is, you know, it could be mundane or it could be something super serious like you experienced. And you're still getting bills for crazy amounts of money. It's the wildest part of our country half the time. Yeah, definitely. But this it's also, yeah, this also inspired you, though, to get into some coaching and mentoring. Is that true? Yeah, that's really was the catalyst. In 2019, things started picking back up. It's almost like the universe was waiting for me. Like January of 2019, it was like everybody was like, oh, by the way, I need to sell my house now that you're feeling better. Mm -hmm. Hey, I need to buy a house. I need, you know, or the combo of the two. So I switched companies. I had been I was asked to to do a ment be a mentor and a coach for a particular company, which Quite honestly, they lied to me and it was a bit of a shit show. I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't, but I was able to start mentoring and doing some coaching and uh, a little bit of the motivational stuff. And I really actually like that. And, and that has since expanded from real estate to, again, motivational speaking, coaching, mentoring across the board. It's something that I enjoy doing. It's kind of where things are heading for me. I actually have a I'm doing the keynote business address for Regent University next month. Oh, wow. Speaking to their business department on honesty, because I think it's important all the way across the board. You know, honesty, dealing with your coworkers, dealing with your clients, you know, depending on what career that you've you've gotten yourself into. These are all young people that are just getting ready to graduate. Oh, that's crazy. So I, so I enjoy it. I absolutely love it. I, I think it's important. I've always had a positive mindset, which has kind of kept me going where I am. And I just felt like apparently somebody decided along the way I had something to say. And so I just kept doing it. That's really cool, man. Like, you know, I motivational speakers are a dime a dozen, right? You can find any, yes. any person can can be like, I'm a motivational speaker. And like me, I, I podcast. I'm a podcaster. I don't do it professionally, but like anybody could be a podcaster. It's not that difficult. Like you get a microphone and you just start talking. People in our country love to talk. They love oh, to yeah. share whatever their opinion is. They want to throw it out there and they want to throw it hard. For me, I just enjoy sitting down and talking to people. That's why I do this. I love to chat with people. But motivational speaking is one of those weird things where it's either somebody's really, really good at it and like you got your like your Tony Robbins and like stuff like that, or it's just somebody who's just talking. What makes you different than just like an average run of the mill motivational speaker? Well, it, that's the funny thing is that there's certain speakers that, you know, you can gravitate to, to certain ones and not to others. Like I love Les Brown. I'm a huge fan of Les Brown because something about his background and his story resonated with me. So realistically, he's the only one that I go to. If I'm in the mood to listen to that type of stuff, it's going to be him, maybe Tony Robbins. And that's about it. I think what sets me differently, at least I believe, is the fact that whether you like it or not, I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. I have a job. And I'm not, again, at 50 years old and almost dying, there's about 10 or 15 people whose opinion I really care about. <laughs> and if nobody else particularly likes me, don't care. I'm about accountability. I, I push, especially with the young people, the self-check and persistent progress. I think young people do a poor job of, and I hate to sound like an old grandpa, but get off your phone and talk to people. And I'll mm. give you a perfect, I'll try to give you a quick example. Yeah, go for it. I got a buddy of mine that runs Miami Web Fest, basically TVs and movies and things like that. So I was down there helping him run that in 2022. And 
I was in charge, essentially in charge of the volunteer interns. Now, these are all young people that are at the local Miami. They are, they're part of the TV and, and, and film community. They're going to school for that. So we had a big to-do on a Thursday night. All the big movers and shakers of Miami are there. And we made it a point to tell the interns, hey, who do you want to talk to? We'll introduce you the whole nine yards. And there was four or five of them that were staring at their phones and just talking to each other the whole night. Uh-huh. And I walked over. I'm like, you guys have this imaz- this opportunity to meet with all these important people that, okay, they may end up being assholes, but at least you'll know, number one. And number two, you have an opportunity to meet somebody that may change the course of your life. I met a lady that had been on the Cuban boat lift as a child that had made a documentary. That's like awesome. at six years old, she's literally on the Cuban boat lift and talked about how you know, why her father left and he was a political prisoner and all of that. There's no way on God's green earth I ever would have met that woman if I hadn't literally walked up to her and, you know, asked her how her evening was going and, you know, and went from, and it snowballed from there. I could have listened to that woman talk all night. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember that story. And, you know, I got to meet the Drunk Champs, the Drink Champs podcast guys, DJ EFN. I got to meet them. I'm sitting here talking to him about, and I'm an old school hip hop guy. So we're talking about the lady of rage and old school hip hop from the, from Virginia. Now, if I see him again, he's not going to remember who the heck I am in any way, shape or form, mm-hmm. but I'll always remember it. And it's a cool story to me. It's a cool story. It's a good memory. And some of those kids, I think missed a, a perfect opportunity to meet somebody and you never know, they might've liked what you had to say. You might've had a connection with them or at worst case, you could have sent them a script and they might've been able to put you in the right direction to who you need to know. So I think that's important, and I'm really trying to push that aspect that you've got to get off the phone sometimes. Oh, I completely agree. When my wife and I go out to dinner, we have a very strict no phones policy, unless we need to like look something up quick or you know read something that was yeah. sent. But like we are very good, and that's one. We everybody always goes, "You have no pictures of each other." We're like, "Cause we're not, we're not on our phones." Like it was my birthday yeah. like a couple of days ago at time of recording, and we, we didn't take a single picture for my birthday. She's like, the next day she goes, damn it. We forgot to take a picture. We weren't on our phones again. I was like, that's a good problem to have. So I am with you on that. I think that we're very easily distracted. We're very easily just immersed in this world that frankly, isn't real. No. And I get imposter syndrome and I have that problem to where you don't necessarily feel like, okay, if I go meet this person that I think is important, they're going to think I'm an idiot or I'm not good enough. So I understand that feeling. I get that feeling at least once or twice a month, whether it's within speaking or real estate. I still will feel that way from time to time. Mm -hmm. But you still have to push through and do it if it's something that you want. I mean, again, at worst case, they're going to be a terrible person. So at least you learn something valuable or it's going to be something really cool. And at worst, you'll get a cool story out of it. I love it. So we are approaching the end of our time. And uh, a new segment that we're actually starting for all of our interviews is a rapid fire round of questions. I picked a couple of questions. Just I'm going to rattle them off and you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. Favorite city to sell property in? Favorite city to sell property in, quite honestly, would probably be Chesapeake. All right. Because uh, I grew up in Chesapeake, so I know it. I mean, I know all the cities, but that's my one. Love it. One book that everyone should read. Papillon. What was that? Papillon. Okay. I've never heard of it. Papillon was written in the 1970s by Henry Cherie. Uh, of course, I he's a French guy, so I'm sure I said his last name wrong. 
they made a movie with Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen in the 70s. He escaped from Devil's Island. Ah. It is my all-time favorite book. I still read it at least once a year. And I even have a poster from the movie up on my framed and on my wall. Oh, see, I, I absolutely love it. I love getting a new book recommendation. So that's actually for me. Best advice you ever received? 28, I'm sorry, 2008, I started a new real estate team. I had gone solo in 2007. I had a crappy broker. So I changed companies in 2008. I had a house that couldn't, that I couldn't get sold. I'm, my broker is also the team leader and owner of the company at the time. And I'm arguing with him about this house. And he's like, you need to reduce the price. And I'm sitting there arguing with him. And he looks me dead in the eyes and goes, how many properties have you sold? And I'm starting to stutter and flutter because let's be honest, I hadn't really accomplished a whole lot. And he was like, this is my company. My name is on the door. I'm the expert. Why are you arguing with me? And like the light bulb went off like, whoa, good Lord, he's right. So from that point on, if somebody knows more than you, shut up and listen until you either A, get to their level or B, at worst case, go outside and find somebody else that knows what they know. And granted, we all do that in a, a lot of us will do it in a silly way. Like I'll be sitting there watching Sunday football and be like, I can't believe they ran that play. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never been a high school coach, didn't even play high school football. So why am I running my mouth in the first place? And that's honest to God, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And probably the only thing that saved me in that career, because I, I realized that he was completely right. And I've used that since. And even with clients, I've had clients that, you know, well, we, you know, my father said we need to do this and do that. Well, how many houses has your father sold? Two. Okay. Well, I did 70 deals last year. Let's talk about who the expert is. And this is what we're going to do. Love and it. just be honest about it and point blank. Mm -hmm. All right. So the last one, and I think I already know the answer to this one, but I'm still going to ask it because it's on my list a habit that you believe contributed to your success? Without a doubt, I would say doing a self-check. Okay. Like realizing, and I do it every year. At the end of the year, I do it about every six months. Just being honest with yourself and sitting down and doing, and, and doing the work that says, okay, this is not going well. Why not? How do I fix it? The other thing I think, honestly, is just you know, do what you're going to do and accept who you are and be, and just, you know, if you got a freak flag, let it fly. If you're going to be, you know, I, my attitude a lot of times is, you know, I might be an asshole, but I'm your asshole. So I'm going to tell you what you need, what you need to hear in real estate and motivational speaking or whatever. And I just don't care. I just don't. If you don't like me, so don't like me. You're not the first person. You won't be the last. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. If any of our listeners want to see some of your motivational speaking or coaching or anything along those lines, what's the best way to follow your content? The best way is probably what Bob thinks on Facebook. The website is about halfway done, so I'm not going to pretend that it's all, it's, you know, I don't really want it all super flashy and all that. Yeah. So we've got some stuff coming out. The other way is like anything else, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bob Thompson, Bob the Agent. And I'm weird and old fashioned. As far as I'm concerned, send me an email, send me a message. Hell, give me a phone call. I answer my phone. I'm weird like that. What? If I can't talk to you, I'll text you back and say, hey, we'll talk later. I've had, you know, agents and, and clients and and motivational people that have just called me out of the blue. And I have no problem with that. I answer the phone. So jump on the Facebook, send me a message, give me a phone call. I'll answer it. I love it, man. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And if you guys have any questions for Bob, make sure you reach out to him. But thank you again for coming on. We really do appreciate it.
thanks for having me and I'm here if you need me, my friend. Thank you, Bob. Hey guys, it's Paul and the Misfit Faction is looking for your help. We are trying to grow not only our network, but also grow our brands. And the best way to do that is if you guys are looking to start your very own podcast, maybe you guys have been listening to us for a while. Maybe it's something you guys have always wanted to do, but you're not sure how to get started. If you go to podbean.com slash Misfit Faction, you guys will get a month of free podcasting on us. That is a gift from us. So make sure if you guys are looking to start your own show, you reach out to us and go to podbean.com slash Misfit Faction. Also, maybe you guys have your own online business or service that you're always looking to grow and advertising is a very big part of that if you guys go to sponsorship.podbean.com slash misfit faction you guys can get a hundred dollars worth of free advertising again as a thank you from us to you guys that's sponsorship.podbean.com slash misfit faction Wow, what a great interview. Uh, we want to thank Bob for coming on. He's just got such a great story. And it's funny because he and I actually ended up chatting for like another 10 minutes after the interview, just shooting everything and just talking about all sorts of things. So I really hope you guys enjoyed chatting with him as much as I did. So make sure you guys check him out on his website. Make sure you guys check out some of his motivational speaking. Or if you guys are looking to buy a house, he's the guy to talk to. So we want to thank you guys for listening. Also, don't forget, if you guys want more of our content, it's super easy. Just go to our website, themisfitfaction.com. You'll find links to all of our shows, not just MF Uncensored, but Cinematic Adventures and the Multiverse Fancast as well. You'll also find news, reviews, articles, and more. And of course, our Misfit store, which again, we are going to update at some point. So make sure you guys get your Misfit swag while you still got the retro stuff there. We also want to make sure that you guys check out all of our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all sorts of things just type in mf uncensored or the misfit faction odds are you'll find some of our stuff we want to thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time